Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro. The podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey friends, hey, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here back with another episode of Side Hustle Pro. And today in the guest chair, I have one of my favorite, favorite entrepreneurs who I am so inspired by. This is actually an update episode. Arsha Jones was on the show way back in 2016 in episode 26, one of my very early episodes. And I just love how she's built her businesses, grown her businesses, and just continues to do so many exciting things. So if you don't know, Arsha is a multifaceted entrepreneur with a unique ability to turn simple concepts into thriving million dollar brands. Okay, multiple million dollar brands. As CEO of Capital City, a specialty foods manufacturing company she co-founded with her late husband, Charles Jones, she personifies what it means to turn your passion into profit. With their signature product, Capital City Mumbo Sauce, they are credited as the first company to take this beloved condiment of the Washington, D.C. area and commercialize it for mass consumption. After moving out of D.C. into the suburbs of Maryland, Arsha often craved her favorite food, including chicken wings and mumbo sauce, especially when she was pregnant and she didn't like having to drive 30 minutes to get it. So she started making it on her own in her own kitchen. And then she was struck by the brilliant idea to create it for others because she thought, well, what if other people have this craving and they moved out of D.C. and can't get it? Thus, Capital City was born. Arsha and Charles bootstrapped their new business by selling the sauce at local farmers markets and community based events. Since its launch in 2011, 
they've grown Capital City from a mom and pop operation into a multi-million dollar brand and their signature product, Capital City Mumbo Sauce, is sold in retailers such as Walmart, Target, Papa John's, and KFC, and even more you will hear in this episode. So in today's update episode, we discuss Arsha's strategic approach to growing multiple businesses. You'll want to stick around for this if you're someone with lots of ideas. We also get into how she was able to scale multi-million dollar businesses without being front-facing. And we'll also talk about why there's no right way to be an entrepreneur or to market your business. And then finally, we'll talk about why Shaq that Shaquille O'Neal is such a big fan of Capital City and so much more. So let's get right into it. All right. All right. Arsha, Arsha, welcome back. I am so honored to have you back here in the guest chair. And your episode was episode 26. Like this is, I'm talking back in 2016. Can you believe that? I'm sorry, guys, we're not going to recap every single detail. You're going to have to listen. I'll link to it. But we are going to catch up with Arsha and find out what she has been up to. Because at the time we spoke, you were still running Teasing the Trap and Capital City mm-hmm. Mumbo Sauce. And now I want to just get an update in your words. You know, what are you up to now? What are you working on now? Well, my goal, even when I started teasing the trap, was to transition away from that after about four or five years. And so now, you know, those four or five years have come and gone. And Capital City is our 100% sole focus. We still do sell some items from teasing the trap where people place orders, but we aren't actively kind of marketing and pushing it like we used to. We are 100% Capital City, which was uh, my goal from the beginning. And we've done uh, a ton of things since then. And it's been an exciting ride. I can't lie. You know, going back, I've forgotten some of your story, right? So I was reminded that you you have your BFA, right? You're traditionally trained. You're an artist. You then worked in web design. So how did you start going into this entrepreneur zone? (laughs) Honestly, I I was in college and, you know, being on a track for a bachelor's of fine arts, your lane was really painting and drawing, you know? And so as a... (laughs) 20 something in college, (laughs) you know, 19, I really just wanted to make up more money, Mm -hmm. you know, and I saw um, painting and drawing a path to a struggle and I'm not knocking anyone (laughs) else for taking that path. I was just like, wow, I really love it, but I needed to figure out, okay, how can I transition this into a career that will bring me enough income in to kind of just kind of build the life that I wanted. And so from illustration, painting, and drawing, I transitioned into web design, which still gave me a creative outlet. And then from web design, I transitioned into building e-com site, branding for um, products, social media marketing, and everything kind of in that online business lane. And I found that I really had a passion for it. And that kind of fueled my desire to kind of create a business for myself. So we've just gone through a series where I was giving people tips and I share my story of I started with a blog. The blog turned into the podcast. And you similarly, the very first thing you did in business was start a blog. What was your thought process when you were doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, it was an extension to uh, me having web design consulting clients. I would always get information from people who maybe couldn't afford 
to hire me that they still wanted the same information on how to kind of set up a blog, buy domains and kind of get that all set up. So my blog was really based around how to build an online website, a blog, an e-com store and how to market it online for people who were interested in self-help as opposed to, you know, like I said, paying for consulting fees. And that's kind of where my start came in was blogging about web design. So you know, I created a solid lane for yes, myself. You, did, you, did. you know a lot too. And, and what I like is, you know, yeah. you didn't necessarily study that. Sometimes we think, oh, we have to study this. So those people, they study digital marketing. But no, you just kept on learning, figuring it out, testing immediately, and then learning some more. Yeah. From the blog, when did you go into the first business that you started and why? Being a consultant and working for other people and having a blog, I realized that I didn't like the service industry <laughs> as much as I <laughs> No, not, not knocking you. anyone yeah. who's in the service industry. It's completely fine. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> and that's how it um, began. I was like, wow, you know, I really wanted to figure out how to create products that I could sell so that I could make money that was less dependent on me having to show up and give 100% of myself. You know, I wanted a product where I could sell multiples of it over Mm. and over and over. Whereas when you're in a creative space and you in a service role, you constantly have to be on this hamster wheel of creating new ideas for each and every client that you encounter. And that's great, but it's just, it was just, I was getting yeah, burned out. Understandable. You know? And so I'm still trying to figure yeah, this out, like, Arsha. This is why I'm having you back. I need a product. <laughs> you need a product. You do definitely need a product. And I said to myself, I was like, I can't do this for another, you know, 30 yeah. years or whatever. Keep constantly showing up and I will give my clients a hundred percent of me, you know? And sometimes they would take my advice. Sometimes they wouldn't. Let's be honest. Most times they wouldn't. <laughs> I know they wouldn't. They wouldn't. And it was frustrating yeah. because I knew I was right. right. You know, I knew I was right. And I knew I was the expert. Mm-hmm. And one day I was just like, you know what? I'm going to stop pouring myself into all of these other clients. And I'm going to see what it feels like for me to give myself my mm-hmm. own advice and use everything that I've learned for me and see just how far it takes me. hear you like sometimes I listen back to my episode I'm like wait why am I not doing that (laughs) I'm giving advice (laughs) and I've forgotten my own advice so I completely hear that and you know we give so much to other people it's like all right let's also make sure that we're taking our own advice and I don't know what happens between when you give advice and the person's like yeah yeah I need to do that (laughs) but there's something that's lost in translation sometimes with giving advice and it can be really discouraging when you're doing that kind of work because you don't see people implementing what you're telling them and you know, you know, you can help them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, it's a myriad of reasons why it's own personal Mm -hmm. hangups. Sometimes, you know, life gets in the way. Oh, so I get it. I get it. But I guess my belief in myself was so strong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing that I say, I'm not a gambling person, but the one person I will always bet on is myself. And I said that I wanted to prove to myself that everything that I was teaching other people was right. And it was because, I mean, I am my most successful client. Yes. (laughs) And and it's okay for that to be the case. Sometimes I feel like, is that okay? Like, I am my most successful client, but it is okay. (laughs) It is okay because it's still proof. It's still proof that you knew something Mm -hmm. and that if you put 
action behind the advice, yes. behind the yes. words that you can get the results that you're looking yes. for. Speaking of action behind the words, so some advice that we talked about in the last few episodes over January into February, mm-hmm. I talked about focusing on one thing at a time. And now I have you in the guest chair, who is the exact opposite of that. But you are the rare person, the very rare person that I've spoken to that has done this well. So how did you manage launching different businesses at the same time? Well, to a certain extent, the advice you're giving is correct. You know, you have to focus on one thing at a time. And then what I did was I just, I would get one thing running really well, and then I would add something on to it. I think why you see that not work for people is because they're adding on to tasks that don't have a solid mm. foundation. So they'll create this first business that doesn't have a solid foundation and isn't really that profitable. And then they'll start stacking more and and so by themselves. Yeah. Okay. And so now they're there. Now they have, you know, four or five different brands and all of them are like at running at 30% mm. of what their potential is. And so I think that's where people get it confused is that number one, I started with one thing first and I built a team to help support yes, that one yes. thing. And then I moved on to the next thing. So I actually built Capital City first and had a team. So it, it could run completely with me only having to give it 10 to 20% of my time. Okay. Then I built teas in the trap. And so that actually, because these were my creative ideas, it actually required more of my mental space than capital city did. So I actually say I would give maybe 50% to Mm teas in a trap for the creative aspect. But then once the creative was done, I had a team to help um, print the sh- t-shirts and pack the orders and get things out and customer mm-hmm. service. So I think that people don't really come up with the plan of number mm-hmm. one, how to create their first sustainable business. Okay. And then how to build a team to help support and grow that business, yes. you know, and you can't get this far as a team no. of one. You just, it's impossible. You are so right. There's so many people who are starting more businesses And it's because there's a lot of noise out there, like, you know, have more than one revenue stream, make sure you have more than one. (laughs) And that advice is completely right. I think people just kind of interpret it Mm. the wrong way. So when I'm thinking about Capital City and I'm saying I need several different revenue streams, right? That's you know, I'll give you an example. My revenue streams would then center around Capital City. So that may be Mm -hmm. retail, that may be food service, Mm. that may be um, products and merchandise, that may be um, in-person markets. That may be my own e-commerce. That may be Amazon as a platform. All of those yes. start with Capital yes. City, but are different ways I make money all leading into one funnel, which is Ooh. Capital City. Like I'm not like doing Capital City and then my other revenue is going to be real yeah, estate. Yeah, yeah. And then my other revenue is real estate is going to be You know what I mean? And so people are picking things that don't relate mm-hmm. to each other. And so now that you're kind of juggling yeah. these balls that don't even work well together, no. you know? So it's really just finding different revenue streams that kind of are branches from the main thing that you do. Oh, I love that. Let's unpack this for a little bit because this is very helpful because sometimes, yeah, we do feel like, oh my God, all my eggs are in one basket. All my eggs are inside Hustle Pro, right? But what are the different revenue streams that 
mm-hmm. you know, roll up into Side Hustle Pro, whether that's ad mm-hmm. revenue, mm-hmm. whether that's courses, whether yeah. that's, you know, something yeah. else that I might want to do. And yeah, instead yeah. of trying to start new businesses, like, oh, now let me be, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. And not only does yeah. it, are they not working together, but they require now different skills and, and things that Correct. different parts of your brain. So you are just all the way stretched. Am I right there? That's the unpack. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because then if you build a mm-hmm. team, you need a separate yeah. team for all of these different mm-hmm. industries. Whereas if you focus on one thing, your that same team can actually support you across all those different mm-hmm. revenue streams. And that's what you want to do. You want to maximize the people that you have okay. helping you and and figure out how they can help you make yeah. more money. And you know what you're really good at? <laughs> Making money, of course. But starting yeah. lean, you know how to start very yeah. lean and build a team. Yeah. So how did you do that? Because yeah. I know when you started Capital City, like you and your husband and your late husband were stretched for cash. You know, you went through a layoff, but yet you were still able to start these companies and hire a team. How did you do that? So first, really, I just, I always start by assessing my own weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> and my weaknesses for me is anything that I really, gosh, I hate doing. And so I start by, I just make a list of all the things that I hate doing the most. And I start hiring and say, okay, how can I take this off my plate? And one of the biggest things that was like a drain for me or a drag for me was customer service. So that was like answering emails and dealing with customers directly. It was something that I dreaded doing every day. And so it didn't take much effort for me to find someone who could come in two hours a day, one hour a day, five days a week, Mm -hmm. you know, as a virtual assistant to come in and manage the um, customer service. I think some people hear hiring Mm -hmm. and they think, oh, I have to have this person full time. I have to have one that's in the States. I have to have one that's, you know, making X amount of dollars. And how am I going to afford those people? No, really need to just start with you're able to afford. And if that means that you have to hire a $5 hour person overseas to help you manage customer service, then just start there, you know, because you never know kind of where that takes you because that's exactly where I started. But now I have full-time people who have benefits, who have leave in medical, and I have an office and I have cubicles and and, um, an entire staff. But I would not have been able to get here had I not started there. I love that. Every time you say you have cubicles, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) we have like, this is amazing. (laughs) Right. I try to refer to them as workstations because I try to get something that was that was kind of cute. You know what I mean? Not like standard government Mm -hmm. basic workstations. They are nice looking. They are workstations. I I like that. (laughs) I'm going to change my vocabulary to that. (laughs) So did you use any business to fund the other? Yeah, of course. The sole purpose for Tease in the Trap was to fund Capital okay. City. I knew from the time that I launched Capital City that this business would be the business that would take me to the next level and be, you know, the catalyst for me growing wealth, growing wealth for my children. And I knew, also knew that I wouldn't be able to go through traditional channels in order to secure Mm -hmm. funding so I could grow. You know, I already knew the hurdles that I was going Mm -hmm. to encounter, like me walking into a bank saying, yeah, well, I have this really great wing sauce and I need a few hundred thousand dollars to fund it. They would look at me like, girl, (laughs) what are you talking about? And so instead of kind of being um, down Mm -hmm. about that or, or wasting time kind of chasing traditional financing, I decided to kind of take some of the skills I'll use 
building Capital City and create a cash business. And that was Tease in the Trap. Tease in the Trap was a, a business where I created products based on like pop culture, black yeah. girl magic lane. And once someone purchased a product, I immediately was paid for it. And that allowed me to kind of take all the cash that was created and dump it and funnel it directly into Capital City because that's the biggest hurdle into getting people into retail and products into retail. It's not that people don't come up with really great ideas or people don't have really great recipes. Honestly, it's just the money. Yes. You need a lot of money to be able to keep up with the sales velocity of a retail customer. I understand that Teasing the Trap made like 300000 its first year. Was that a profit or a revenue? That was okay. revenue. That was revenue. It wasn't completely profit. And then I would say uh, maybe about the second year, I would say about the third year, we were doing about $100,000 nice, a month in nice. sales. And I was just funneling that over to Capital mm-hmm. City. And it helped me learn how to manage my finances. It helped me learn how to create budgets. It just really gave me a really grassroots uh, start to, okay, how can I keep this cycle going, making money, but also investing money into the next opportunity, which was capital. Yes, I love that. You know, I was talking to my friend the other day and there's always this debate on social media and um, you're the perfect person for this because I think you (laughs) exemplify this perfectly like this is my dream to do right so there are stages to being a business sometimes you might have to be more front-facing and so the debate is always Mm -hmm. oh don't start a (laughs) front-facing business yada 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 I personally feel that it's a means to an end sometimes so if your front-facing business is a cash business as you say or just something that is helping you stockpile money for when you need to invest it into something that's going to take more capital then do it you can always stop once you don't want to do it anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a few bits mm-hmm. of advice that I tend to give people because there are a lot of introverts who want to start yes. businesses and they only see that path of having to be yeah. front facing. And the truth is there is no right mm-hmm. answer. OK, my only suggestion is make sure you understand what the end mm-hmm. looks like, because it does get tiring being the face of your yeah. business. If you want to sell your business, you know, if that's an option for you, you have to consider that you're now attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> And people get mad about that. (laughs) People do. And I get it 100%. It's really personal preference. My preference was very specific. Mm -hmm. Okay. My preference was that I never wanted to be the face Mm -hmm. of my brand and not because I have no desire to be front face. I don't need people to know who Mm -hmm. I am, but also I was thinking about what happens when I wanted to take a break or I wanted to step away or I wanted to hire a new CEO that ran the business on a daily, or if I wanted to sell it, I don't want my personal image attached to this business so much that you would know who was running it, you know, because the truth is there are many people that on a daily basis, I have an entire team that runs this business completely without me. And so I wanted to make sure that regardless of whether I wanted to show up publicly or not, that sales continue to come in, Mm -hmm. you know? And so my personal brand isn't a driver of this capital Mm -hmm. city. And I strategically built it that way. But it's nothing wrong with people who choose the opposite. You know, it works. I'm thinking, let me think of some food brands that use their business owners' faces. Um, I can't even mm. think. But, maybe Pinky? Uh, I know, uh, right? Her, uh, yeah, 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 yes, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pinky is a good example of that. And again, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. I do enjoy her yeah. content. I'm rooting for her to do well. 
I like to be an example of showing people that you don't have to go down that route. You don't have to have this really outgoing, uh, big personality. You don't have to want to be on social media right. all the time. And you can still really be successful. Yeah. And did you feel you had to be a little bit more forward facing when you were doing teasing the trap more? Honestly, oh. no. I rarely showed my face. And unless you knew that that was my business, you really didn't mm-hmm. know who ran the business at all. And I preferred it that way because I didn't want to create, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I didn't really want to create an emotional attachment Uh, to that business because I remember I knew going into it that I was going to close it after five years, you know? And so I think that that was a way for me to kind of stay detached Mm -hmm. from it and not make it about Mm -hmm. me because once it became about me, it became personal. And I never wanted to take this stuff personal because, you know, when you start to take stuff personal, you make decisions based on how things make you feel as opposed to making the right decisions for a business. That's fair. That is so fair. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I'm so impressed by your forward thinking of knowing, all right, this one's going to be around for about four to five years. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. It was fun, but I had to put a cap yeah. on it because honestly, I thought about a few things when I started this business. I thought about e-commerce, the, the life cycle of e-commerce okay. businesses, the life cycle of fashion yes. businesses, the life cycle of black owned fashion businesses. And so I said to myself, I have about a good eight to 10 years if I really like keep my kind of head down and push, but I have never seen a female black owned fashion clothing business last beyond that, you know? And and so I said to myself, (laughs) yeah, you know, and I'm talking about ones that are like big, big, Mm -hmm. big, you know, so I'm thinking about baby okay. fat and I'm thinking about, you know, male centered black brands like yeah. FUBU and, and all of those that are kind of, um, you know, culturally right. driven. And they just they it was you have to look up and see like when they started to kind of see their decrease and their and their relevancy fade. And I said to myself, I'm going to get out of here before yes. that happens. I'm going to make as much money yes. as I can and get out of here because see capital city had the capacity to be profitable beyond me you know like capital city will last when i'm yeah. long gone it's like catch up to me now it's always in my fridge by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> i get it yeah, from I appreciate that. It's the, it's the <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah i appreciate yeah. that thank you but that's exactly yeah. what it is it's going to be one of those businesses where my kids 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 still use yes. the product the product will still be on the mm-hmm. show and people will still say i have never seen a black owned fashion brand last that long you're so right about that So when you got the idea for actually commercializing Mumbo Sauce, did you have an aha moment in terms of like, did you get chills? Were you just like, this is it? Or was it like a gradual phase process? I would say it was a gradual phase process because like, think about it. Like I do not have the aesthetic of someone who wakes up one day and goes, yeah, you know, I want to create a wing (laughs) sauce, you know? People ask me all the time, you know, especially when I have to do um, in-person events, they go, you know, are you a chef? Do you cook? And can you come on our show and cook? And I go, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am not any of those things. (laughs) And so the thought process was behind it was that, number one, I really wanted a product that I could make one or two of and sell over and over and over and over again, you know? And how the story goes is that I was pregnant with my mm-hmm. son and I would have to have my husband drive me up to carry outs to get wings and mumbo sauce. And I just got tired of doing it, you know, because I was getting bigger and bigger and it was just a hassle. So I learned how to make it in 
my home, not really thinking that I'd start a business from it. But I said to myself, wow, what if there are other people like me who have moved away from the DC area and could no longer get access to this product anymore? So it was very Mm -hmm. slow process and me figuring it out. But once I started to do more research, like I said, I had a background in web design. So that also included like SEO and Google search engine. I started to really dig into the Google search and finding out that people were looking for the search terms, mumbo sauce, they were actively looking to purchase this Mm -hmm. product and they could not find it. And that's when the aha moment came up. I said, wow, if I create this product, I'll be creating a product that already has name Mm -hmm. recognition, that already had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. There are 6 million people in the DC metropolitan area, and most of them know about mumbo sauce. So to walk into a business knowing that you do not have to do as much heavy lifting because the product is already known. It was a no brainer for me. I said, all I have to do is get this product on the shelf, create a label that says mumble sauce and people will buy it. And that's what they did. (laughs) Simple as that. If you're a small business owner, this is for you. Running a business is just plain hard. Endless to-do lists, employees to take care of, and your ever-present bottom line. So first of all, kudos to you for staying on top of it. And now I want to tell you about Gusto. Gusto builds an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll, benefits, and more. They help over 300,000 businesses by taking the pain out of tasks like automated payroll tax filing, direct deposit, health insurance administration, 401k, onboarding tools, you name it. Gusto makes it easy. And they really care about the small business owners they work with. Their support team is attentive and helpful. And since money can be tight sometimes, you'll even get three months free. Just go to gusto.com SHP and start setting up your business today. You'll see what I mean when I say easy. Again, that's three months of free payroll at gusto.com SHP. I was talking to the creator of Partake Foods last uh-huh. year, and she talked about how hard it can be to scale a food service business from the lens of yeah. getting investors to come on board, mm-hmm. right? Because the margins are lower for them and all this other stuff. What's your thought process around that? He's absolutely right. The margins in food are very mm-hmm. slim, okay? So being a food business, you really focused on selling volume. You want to sell people products over and over again. I would say that, again, my thought process is a little different. One thing I learned about being a web designer and being a graphic yeah. designer is that, you know, it's perception. You know, I can make you believe whatever I want you to believe. And so that means that if I tell you that this is a premium product, then who are you to tell me it's not, you know? And if I tell you it's a premium product, then I can state whatever price I want to state on the bottom, you know, because now I'm telling you that it's worth whatever I'm telling you the cost Mm -hmm. is. So my margins has always been very, I'm not going to tell you exactly what they are, but they're extremely generous. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I don't operate in a place where, okay, I'm getting the bare minimum for my product. And also keep in mind that my product was the only product of its kind on the shelf, you know? 
And so I didn't really have any things to compare it to as opposed to like partake cookies mm-hmm. when you're going on the cookie aisle. So then your retail buyers of these grocery stores, they can say, oh, well, well, these cookies are this mm-hmm. amount of money. So why is your price, right, you know, right. twice as much, you know? And so when you have a product that stands alone mm-hmm. like mine, I can say, yes, my product is six ninety nine, and have no one to compare it to. <laughs> so that was a really great benefit that I... um decided that I would adopt early on is perception, creating a specialty sauce. And number two, creating a lane that was specifically for me and I had no competitors. So I had no one to compare pricing to. And how did you distribute at first before you were in the supermarkets and all the places you are now? It's going to sound kind of crazy, but uh, we started in 2011. Okay. And I actually didn't stop working at my job until 2018. Okay. And so much of our distribution was just me. I would literally go to work and then on my lunch hour, I would ride around and drop off cases (laughs) of product to grocery stores in the Washington (laughs) (laughs) DC. I would have cases and cases in my trunk with like a dolly, a dolly that I can like a cart with wheels Mm -hmm. on it that I could take. And I would run up to like Ben's Chili Bowl. I would run up to grocery stores. And that's how we would distribute, to be honest with you. It wasn't really anything that was all fancy or complicated. It was really trying to maximize. And I would have to be the one to do it because, you know, we were based in Maryland and my job was in Washington, D.C. And so I was already in the city. And so it was always my job. To to do that. Do that. So were these yeah. clients, did you have to pitch them? And then they said, OK, we'll take, you know, this quantity each month or week. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happened. I would scour around looking for mom and pop shops. And then mom and pop shops are usually and that they aren't necessarily one shop per se, but they are shops where. They're smaller and local. Mm-hmm. So they could still be like a small local chain of like five to 10 stores, mm-hmm. but they are stores where you can walk in and immediately speak to the purchasing okay. person or the, or the owner directly and say, Hey, I have this product. I'd like to sell it to you. Here's some, take, give it a try. And that's really what we did. I was, sometimes I would give free bottles for them to set out and sell. Sometimes I would sell it to them um, automatically, but that's how we started at mom and pop shop until we were able to graduate beyond. And how were you able to graduate beyond that? <laughs> I know, right? And so we had created a solid footprint in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area of our products. So we sold our product at like Ben's mm-hmm. Chili Bowl, Eastern Market. And just like I said, mom and pop grocery stores around the PG County, D.C. and you know surrounding counties. And so what happened is our customers were tired of having to go to these very specific uh. stores <laughs> to buy this product. And so they would go into their retailers like... Um, giant shoppers and Safeway. And they'll say, why aren't you selling Capital City? I'm tired of having to drive to Easter Market to pick up this mumbo sauce. When are you guys going to carry this product? And that's really how we got no started. Way. Shoppers Food Warehouse. Yeah, Shoppers Food Warehouse reached out to us and say, hey, our customers keep asking for this product. How can we get it on our store shelves? That was how we came to be because, you know, honestly, it never even crossed my mind to approach retail. I was building this business as an e-com <laughs> store. Remember, for people who had moved away from the area, because I assumed that, okay, people who are already here who are still going to the carryout, they'll just go to the carryout and their favorite carryout in their area and get the version of mumbo sauce that they mm-hmm. enjoy. So it never even crossed my mind that I could should try to get it into retail. And then you got to keep in mind that back then there was no easy path to retail. The path to retail was really dominated by the big players in that industry. So yes, the Heinz ketchup, Hunt's ketchup, the mayonnaise, the mustard, those were all brands that dominated 
the store shelves. And so they really didn't have a solid path for smaller people like me to be able to infiltrate that and carve out a little space for us. And so there was no blog, there was no website, there was no course, there was no (laughs) boot camp for me to join. How to get into grocery stores. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Nope, not at all. So I just never even considered it. And all my almost 400 episodes now, Sounds of Pro, <laughs> I've never heard that. Even in your first episode, I don't think we discussed that. Like people actually asking, like, bring this product into the grocery store. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. amazing. And so after that, did you yeah, start and- pitching or did it take you a while to say, hey, you know, Wegmans, take this in store? After that, things kind of went really fast. We actually had signed an exclusivity deal with shoppers. So like for the first year, they were the only (laughs) store that could sell our product. And so through that partnership with shoppers, we were able to then partner with a distribution company that helped us get into more stores. So they kind of pitched on our behalf, I would say. How did you learn about them? through the shoppers people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Shoppers connected me with their distribution company that they enjoyed working with. And they were a company, again, you know, most people's entry into retail is a little (laughs) different. Um, They go with these large distribution companies where you are a small fish in a big pond. Okay. And in this case, I partner with a distribution company that was locally owned, family owned, minority owned. So they really took a liking to me and what we have built. And they really kind of held my hand through the process to make sure I understood every last thing about the retail business. And for that, I am forever grateful. Oh, I love that. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. (laughs) 
So now let's talk a little bit about your major partnerships, things like Capital sure. One Arena, Papa John's. Yeah, you know, yeah, before yeah. this recording, yeah. I was watching your video with Capital One Arena, the chef there. So I was chuckling when you were talking about cooking because you sure <laughs> enough were just watching him cook like, yep, that's how you can use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I sure was. I was like, wow, you're doing a great job. (laughs) (laughs) So which one came about first? I feel like Capital One is newer, but you let me know. Papa John's? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say that through that distributor that Shoppers connected me with, we were connected to Mm -hmm. Papa John's, okay? And so when they were having a few issues um, in media and their own crisis, they were looking, especially the local Papa John's, which is about 100, almost 200 stores in the D.C. metropolitan area. They were looking to kind of create some... um, new buzz and interest around products and things to get people back into okay. the store. And they had a connection with my distributor and they would say, Hey, you know, what about Capital City Mumbo Sauce? They make this really great sauce. It's locally owned and a kind of a DC fan favorite. And that's how that partnership mm-hmm. began. And then honestly, through that partnership with Papa John's, I began to make connections within different um, areas and yeah. industries. And I connected with a team to help me get into um, stadiums. So we actually have partnerships with Capital One Arena, um, the Washington Nationals, Baltimore nice. Orioles, uh, CFG Bank Arena, the Washington Commanders. So yeah, that has been a really great way to kind of expand our customer base and give us some visibility um, beyond just the store shelf. Speaking of visibility, do you still feel the pressure to say, oh, this fair is happening, this concert is happening, we need to have a booth there or pay for this there, stuff like that? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> but you know, I'm also, I don't want to be front facing right. either. And so it's really not hard for me to say, no, yeah, I'm not yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, and then plus we've created such a solid foundation for ourselves that we, that we unfortunately mm-hmm. don't have mm-hmm. to go to every event just like yes. we used to. And so now we just try to maybe align our mm-hmm. brand with opportunities that make sense, mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of what yes. it is. It's not that I don't dislike all the events. It's just more so whether it makes sense and whether I have time in my calendar, you know, managing, um, being a business owner and still like a mom, I just try to make sure that I, you know, have the appropriate amount yes. of bandwidth to take on these events. Cause they're, they're a lot of work, yeah. you know, doing oh, those course. in person. We also sometimes partner with other people and just, um, help sponsor their okay. events. Um, but, you know, our name and our products and things are prominently featured in those activations. Okay. And back yeah. to partnerships for a second. I, yeah, I understand yeah. that Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, was very, very <laughs> happy when he found out that you guys were behind Capital City Mumbo Sauce. Can you share that story? <laughs> sure. He also met him through um, the Papa John's partnership. And we just happened to meet him. Um, they Papa John's had a huge conference for all of their franchisee okay. owners in, ooh, in like Tennessee somewhere um, at the Grand Ole Opry, I think. And so... We had um, went because technically we were a supplier of uh, Papa John's, you know, and it was for the suppliers and leadership and franchisee owners. And you have to understand that (laughs) we were also a minority (laughs) there, you know, (laughs) okay. We were a minority there, but we were just glad to be there, you know. (laughs) And so when Shaq came into this meeting room to meet with all the suppliers, we were even more so a minority because Papa John's does have minority ownership, but we were at a special meeting for the supplier okay. side. And we were the only black people in there. <laughs> and so, you know, Shaq can see completely over the crowd. He can scan the room from a, from the bird's eye view. 
And he saw me and my husband standing there and he made a beeline to us. He made a beeline to us and was like, finally, (laughs) finally, my people, how y'all doing? (laughs) And so that's how our relationship with Shaq came to be. He was just really excited to see us. Um, After that, he invited us out a few times and um, he called me uh, when my husband passed away. And so it's been a great relationship with him. We still have some um, things that we're going to do together in the future, but that's really how it came to be. It's just in these spaces, food, you know, you just don't see a lot of us there, unfortunately. And so it's a small club that we belong to. So even you mentioning um, partake foods, like I am not directly connected yeah. to her, but every, all of us know yes, each yes, of us yes, yes. <laughs> because in the black minority owned businesses, a black businesses in the food mm-hmm. industry who have visibility at like major retailers like Walmart, Target, it's very few of us, you know? And so we yes. know each other, even if we don't know each other personally, we yes. know our brands. We know each other's yes, brands. That, that makes sense. And, you know, every time yeah. I see a commercial with Shaq and Papa John's, I think of you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was really yeah. great and welcoming. And he has a really, it just, whatever you receive from him on TV and through media, he's exactly like it. that. I love person. it. Warm, welcoming, fun, big. Um, but mm-hmm. kind and just really a great right. person, great guy, great personality. And something else you mentioned, another video of yours I was watching was about how you utilized Amazon's marketing tools to grow the business even more. So can you tell us a little bit yeah, about that? Yeah. Like which tools and how did you utilize them? Sure. I'll give you a rundown just for people who are interested in selling mm-hmm. on Amazon. I know selling on Amazon can be very daunting oh, yes. because it's overwhelming, but I also know that people often will complain about the amount of money it costs to operate on Amazon because Amazon does cut into your profits a lot, you know, but Amazon is another volume game. Your goal isn't to make a lot of money per Mm -hmm. item. You want to make money based on volume, you know, so you want to sell as much product as possible. But once you become a seller on Amazon, they give you access to a section of Amazon called Seller Mm -hmm. Central. And so Seller Central has all of the data you need to understand your customers, what you're selling, how often you're selling, any patterns, uh, locations. Um, So like for us, example, I can look into Seller Central and our top locations for sales are California and New York, you know, those are our top two states for sales. And so usually what I do is I take that information, I organize that information and take it to my retailers. And when I'm trying to pitch new stores and bring people on board, that helps give buyers a larger picture because sometimes they'll see Capital City and they'll say, okay, well, this is a really great local Washington, D.C. staple. And I have to say, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a that is our foundation. That is what our core um, audience comes from. But our customers are all across the United yes. States and having those statistics from Amazon just further supports um, what I'm telling them. I'm so glad you mentioned that because sometimes it can feel like, oh, I have to stay really, really local. I have to stay. I started this. I, you know, I talk about my hometown all the time. I got to just focus on the hometown, but it's okay to scale. And other people, do you like sweet tangy um, sauce? I know I do. Do you like that on your wings? I think you might like that whether you live in California or D.C. So 
Absolutely. I would 100% agree. I will say that I'm creating a brand that is local, Mm -hmm. gives you some benefits, and it's a great starting point because there are many local programs Mm -hmm. that helps get local products onto the store shelf. I know uh, specifically I'm thinking about Giant Food here in the Washington, D.C. area. They have one entire rack of just all locally owned products. So it's an easy path to get onto the shelf, but I always consider that path a starting point. Create your foundation in your backyard because that's an area that you know like the back Mm -hmm. of your hand you know so i know born and raised here in washington dc and living in um, pg county maryland i know this area like the back of my hand so i know the stores i know what's relevant i know the radio Mm -hmm. stations i just have this core understanding of how this area works i wouldn't have that same core understanding and knowledge if i was as a dc washingtonian then trying to say okay Let's now try to pivot and sell in New York. It's completely out of my wheelhouse. I do not know how to navigate in New York. And so I would be lost trying to figure out a path to retail in New York um, because it's just not what I'm used to because their grocery stores are different. They don't have as many grocery stores because New York is such a tight knit city. They don't have these large grocery stores. They have um, bodegas, you know? So then you ask yourself, okay, so how do I get on a bodega show? You know? And so that's a challenge that I would have to overcome because I don't know how those processes work in that area. Making sure that you double down on your own local area really provides you with a solid foundation because you have um, people supporting you, but it also, it actually brings you in a lot of money. You think about that there are over 6 million people in DC metropolitan area. That's a lot of people to touch and a lot of money that can be made. And we're still just in one metropolitan Mm. area. I think sometimes people overlook that thinking, oh, I got to go national. Oh, I got to go big, but you can be a millionaire and sell millions of dollars if you focus on a specific metropolitan area. I love that reminder. It goes to show that There are stories that we tell ourselves that we have to stop telling ourselves. So that's the reason I brought up the, you know, um, having a front facing brand or you bringing up the metropolitan area. The stories that you might tell yourself is, oh, that's the wrong way to do business. So then you don't do anything. And that's what we don't want you to do. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I agree 100 percent. I think that people are always looking for reasons to talk themselves out of doing things. When the truth is, there are so many different ways to Mm -hmm. do things. Me and my salesperson, we just went to a huge food show in Las Vegas last week and we walked around and we didn't have a booth and I was considering whether um, at the next event I would have a booth and we walked around and we decided that it wasn't for us, you know? So Truff was there, uh, Mike's Hot Honey, all of the major players. And I walked around and I said, yeah, I'm going to go around this. This is a path for some people, but it's not the right path for us, you know? And I was 100% confident in my decision, you know? And so that just goes to show you that just because other people are going about it one way, it doesn't mean that you can't create a path for yourself because especially being, um, you know, a Black woman in this business, I have to think outside the box. I can't walk through the same doors that other people walk through. And sometimes I have a side door. Sometimes I have a connected that offers me help. But those are the ways that I've 
kind of done business. And it's, you know, it's not the standard way people um, operate, but it's worked well yeah. for me, you know, because I've been afforded some really amazing partnerships that brands like mine don't typically get. And it's because I've always thought outside the box. I love that. I was looking down yeah. because I literally just posted yesterday on my Instagram. I posted, don't do something you don't want to do just because you see everyone else doing it. And it, that's yeah. a reminder to you, you know, and a reminder to myself, because just the other day I was working on my vision board and it's a digital one. I was just putting together my thoughts in different areas of my life. And then I found myself adding something to my business vision board. And then funny enough, this quote posted, you know, I have my post scheduled in, in a posting app. And it was kind of like God was like giving me a side eye because I just yeah. like, let me go ahead and take this off. I know I don't want to do this, yeah. but it just felt like yeah, everyone yeah. else in my industry. That's like a natural mm-hmm. progression mm-hmm. that they then do. And it's just not yeah. something for yeah. me. Honestly, and that's the best way to go about it, because I find that when you start being motivated by what other people are doing or being motivated simply by money, it's like, I don't know, it doesn't create enough passion and a longevity for me because I'll give up as soon as it starts not being fun anymore or I'm not making any money anymore. But there were times when Capital City didn't make any money. I'm sure just like your podcast, you know, there were times when it didn't make money. But you were still so passionate about it, that passion and your connection with your followers or your listeners that you got kind of fueled you to keep Mm -hmm. going. And so if it's something that I know I'll give up on, I don't even start (laughs) because I'm just playing myself at that point. Speaking of finances, let's touch on that right before we get into the lightning round. A lot of people lose money in the first few years of their business. What was your experience with Capital City and how are you funding it today? You know, we were definitely bootstrapped. Like I said, I started in 2011 and I actually didn't stop working until 2018. So I was collecting a check for seven years, nice. <laughs> seven years. And so, and towards the end, that check really, it was just for me to cover like uh, medical mm-hmm. insurance um, for my kids and things. But the truth is, I wouldn't say we ever lost money, but there were many times that we either, we broke mm-hmm. even, we broke even. And so with that breaking even, it was also some times where I had to pay my staff with my paycheck Mm -hmm. that I was getting from my job, you know, because of the velocity of kind of how sales were coming in. And so, no, it definitely was a challenge. It's always been kind of figuring out an equal balance between keeping the lights Mm -hmm. on and keeping product on the store shelf, but also kind of um, making sure that we pay ourselves and had more money coming in. And so right now we're still self-funded. Um, I've been really lucky to been able to do it this mm-hmm. far. We're going into our 13th wow. year and we're still just getting started. And so, yes, you know, of course, getting investment dollars and things are always on the table and the option for us. And it's something that we are discussing. I've been very blessed to be in a position where I haven't Mm -hmm. needed it. And so that allows me to have a little bit more discernment on who I align my brand with. And so whoever you see me align myself with, it's because they were the right person and not because I was, um, I really was desperate for the money. So even though teasing the trap was helping to fund Capital City, it sounds like it wasn't covering it all the way or like how did those months um, come out? If we started in 2011, Teasing the Traps started in um, 2014. Mm-hmm. OK, so there were at least three, a couple years in there but where uh, we were okay. struggling to kind of keep things yeah. going. And yes, 
once I added cheese and the trap into the mix and it started making money immediately, it definitely lightened okay. the burden, you know, in terms of me having to have money to run Capital City, but also for me running my <laughs> life, you know, like I use that money to <laughs> yeah, live, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> paying a mortgage and getting yeah. the kids, you know, things that they needed. So yeah, it definitely lightened the burden. And I would say from 2014 and then 2017 is when we first got into Chopper's uh, Food okay. Warehouse uh, here. And that was our first major retailer. And then it's kind of been on since okay. then. It's been on since and then. And what do you think when you hear the word scale and when you hear the word legacy yeah. as it relates to your business? Well, scaling for me first means doubling down in the Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. area. There are still some people that I can talk to in this area and have no idea what... <laughs> Capital City Mumbo yeah. Sauce is, and that's yeah. a problem for me, yeah. okay? <laughs> because <laughs> I believe everybody should know what we sell and what this sauce is and how important it is to the community. So if there is anybody in this area that doesn't know about it, it means that mm-hmm. I haven't quite done mm-hmm. my job just mm-hmm. yet, okay? So scaling for me means first making sure I 100% have exhausted all of the sales channels in the Washington, D.C. area so that yes. no one can say, I don't know what mumbo sauce is, all right? And so then for me, scaling next would be then making a national footprint. And of course, we do sell nationally now. We're in Target and Walmart, not in every store, but in major doors across the United Mm -hmm. States. But just expanding on that, you know, expanding on that means more partnerships. Um, Since Papa John's, we've had a partnership with um, KFC. Mm -hmm. We just wrapped up a partnership that gave us visibility with McDonald's that was last year. And so that was exciting. And they had mumbo sauce at their 13,000 restaurants across the United States. And so it's really just making sure that we are aligning ourselves with companies who share our vision and want to grow our visibility and make us a household name. So that's what scaling means. What does legacy mean? So gosh, legacy for me, it means a few things. It's kind of what people will say about me when I'm no longer here anymore. And I don't want to be too morbid Mm -hmm. about it, but that is what is important to me. You know, I want, like I said, my kids, kids, kids to have a picture of me in their house, you know, and point to it when they walk by and say, if it wasn't for <laughs> yes, her, <laughs> you know, um, because I want something that, like I said, leaves mm-hmm. behind a feeling of pride for my yeah. family. I want my kids, kids, kids to be able to say, wow, our family was a part of something special and a part of something that will live mm-hmm. forever. And when I think about legacy, I think about products like Old Bay mm-hmm. seasoning and the legacy they have. And even though the, the original family doesn't own the recipe anymore and they sold it to McCormick, that is a product that will live on for generations. Mm-hmm. But what cannot be taken away from it is the story of how yeah. it started by that one family, the one, I forget his name, but it's a gentleman mm-hmm. in Maryland years, years, years ago who created this, you know, and his story is still being told till wow. today. And that's what I want yes. for myself. And it's interesting that you didn't mention anything to do with like the financial piece, even though I know that's a part of it, right? Like that's... For me, that's automatic. That's going to come, you know, that's going to come with it. Of course, I would love for it to be a thing where my kids were participating in this, even if for Mm -hmm. a short while, they're still kind of young and figuring out their own lives. But I really didn't build this business for them, to be honest with you. I built it for the community, Washington, D.C., and so if my sons choose to be a part of it or not, it's completely mm-hmm. fine. Um, I'm indifferent about it. I love to work with yeah. my kids. But the truth is, I did this as a love later to 
Washingtonians. I wanted them to have something that they can hold on to and be proud of. The same way New Yorkers are proud of their um, Junior's cheesecakes and (laughs) and their New York bagels and their New York slice of pizzas. And um, and Philly has their famous um, cheesesteak, two cheesesteak Mm -hmm. restaurants. You know, every community has their thing, their food item that they are 100% proud of. And I wanted this to be for Washington. That's what I consider my legacy. And now we're going to jump into the lightning round real quick. Sure, sure, sure. So number one, what is a resource that is really helping you in your business these days? I'll be honest with you, it's Twitter, you know. I tend to find all the experts in retail and consumer packaged goods, CPG Mm -hmm. brands on Twitter, and I follow them all and they tell exactly what they're doing, you know, and I just sit and I read what Mm -hmm. they're saying and how they're navigating this space. And it's so inspiring because even though none of them are necessarily uh, sauce brands, maybe except for Truff, they're in the beverage space, they're in the natural food aisle, but I can relate to them so much more. And they often share um, apps that they're Uh using. They share people, they share consultants, they share um, all kinds of services that they use to help run their businesses. And that's been really helpful. You need to start a Twitter list like back in the day when people used to have the Twitter list. Yeah, I know, right? I know, right? Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) All right. Number two. Now, who is a Black woman entrepreneur who you admire and would want to switch places with for a day and why? Non-celebrity. Gosh, I can't remember her name. I think it's um like Ella Grand or something. I think is that her name? But she's the black owned partner for Skims. Oh, and, you know um, she's on my rate. I need to reach good out American, to her. Yes, good American. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I, gosh, I, I just I adore about. her. She's just so yes. sharp. I really didn't have an opinion mm-hmm. of her. Um, because I wasn't sure what to think of her, but I, then I saw her on a couple of episodes mm-hmm. of Shark Tank and I was like, boy, that girl mm-hmm. is sharp. Yeah. You know, yep, yep. <laughs> she she's, she's just, doing. and so if it had to be one, it mm-hmm. would be her. She knows retail products and she is killing it yes. over there. She is so very inspiring. And so that would be my um, top one. And number three, what's a non-negotiable part of your day these days? It's in between like just meditation Mm -hmm. and kind of working Mm -hmm. out things that I have to do to kind of center myself and make sure that I'm making time for myself among the craziness. And it's in between one of those. And meditation, sometimes it's something in the morning. Sometimes it's a sleep meditation that I'll turn on before I Mm -hmm. go to sleep. If all those fails, I can know I can at least do that because I just got to lay in the bed for that one. And, um, but that is kind of just freeing yeah. my mind, I think. Things that allow me to free my mind is something that I have to do every single day. I consider it a hard mm-hmm. reset for myself so I can refocus and making sure that I am setting priorities and getting my work done. Because I still, as easy as a CEO, I still have plenty of, of things course. to do. Um, number four, yeah. what is a personal mm-hmm. trait that you feel has helped you be successful in business? Um, I know, right? I think it's kind of, I consider myself a little all Uh over the place. I'm a creative, I'm a creative by nature. And so I constantly have ideas. And um, I think that those ideas have helped me and being that kind of person who thinks of ideas regularly, it's helped me in the businesses that I have, because I can really think very quick on my feet, especially when it comes to resolving Mm -hmm. issues and being creative about getting them fixed. And also coming up with ideas about how to move okay. forward, which allows me to kind of think outside the box because I'm not fully invested. I consider ourselves outsiders in the food yeah. industry. We don't really operate like most food industry businesses. 
And I try to double down and lean into that because it allows me to think outside the box. So allowing myself to tap into my own creativity, think outside the box and kind of do what other retail brands aren't doing has allowed me to kind of honestly excel in this space. Nice. And then finally, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? Regardless of what you see online, regardless of who you follow and entrepreneurs, just understand that your journey through entrepreneurship doesn't have to look like anything else that's out there. If you want to keep your job because you like your coworkers and it's easy and you get paid well and the benefits are good, you can still be an entrepreneur with a job, okay? One doesn't take away from the other. It doesn't have to look like what it looks like on social media. You don't have to have the curated photos, these things that you see other people doing that you think you might need. You don't have to do any of that. You can create a path that works along with your current lifestyle and aligns with your future goals because everybody's future goal isn't to be big. When I started Capital City, my goal was like, if I can have an extra $500 a month, you know, to pay some bills and kind of take my kids out every now and then I would be Mm -hmm. fine. You know, for some people that's enough, you know, people are struggling today. So having a goal of saying, you know what, if I'm making an extra $3,000 a month, you know, that will change a lot of people's lives to make that amount of money. You know, set goals that are reasonable for you and don't allow anything that you see on social media to force you down a road that you're not comfortable with. Your path, your journey through entrepreneurship doesn't have to look like anything that's out there. Create a path all your own and be comfortable and happy in the path that you've created. That's a word right there. Spoke right to my heart. You know, this year I have found myself, even as someone who is a content creator myself, I've had to really quiet the social media noise in terms of (laughs) how I follow people. I'm not, you know, unfollowing a bunch of people, but social media allows you to really control who you see in your feed, right? And I found that sometimes the noise was allowing other people's voice to be louder than my own. And so I really had to quite like turn down the volume to make sure I'm raising the volume on my own thoughts, my own desires for what I want my path to look like. Absolutely. Because even just scrolling, Mm. you know, even just scrolling down Instagram, and if you think you're not even paying attention, you subconsciously start to kind of feel the pressures that come with it. And you have this fear of missing out because you're not doing what other people are doing. But like, you got to quiet that stuff, just like you said. And that means that you have to take a break from it. Um, I've taken a break from social media to make sure that I am refocusing Mm -hmm. and have my priorities straight. You can't hesitate to do that because the truth is there are tons, thousands, millions of businesses that are not on social media and they're doing just fine at all. (laughs) Don't forget that, you know, you can be completely self-sufficient and wealthy and not have made not one post on on Instagram. And so just understand Mm -hmm. that those options are available to you if you want them. You know, I know people who are successful in the government Mm -hmm. sector and technology and they don't post about that stuff at all. You just need to find a path and an industry and a business that aligns with the life that you want to have for yourself. And if you don't want to be front-facing, if you don't want to be online, there are businesses you can start that will support that. I love that. I'll (laughs) say this last thing. I always joke. And again, you're my shiro here. 
I'm like, when I'm making my multi-millions, y'all not going to see me. If you want to know y'all if not I'm gonna doing see well, me. you're not going to see me. That's how you know. <laughs> you're not going to see me. My, look, my phone going to be it's off. Gonna be I'm going to be on a beach somewhere in the sun. You, you ain't, ain't going to see me. me. You ain't going to find you know what I'm me. Saying? All right? <laughs> no. Just know Just I'm know good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I mean, I don't know if I can ask if people can connect with you after this episode. Um, Find her yeah, on Twitter, maybe. I, right? I don't Good know. But where can people <laughs> yeah. connect with yeah, you Capital know City after this episode? Yeah, honestly, the thing mm-hmm. about it is I'm very quiet mm-hmm. online, but I'm always online. That's what so I noticed. So people tweet me or people, yeah. If, so if you DM me or you yeah. tweet me or you want a response, I will always respond. I just don't yeah. actually post and things, but I will always respond to I people love that reach it. out. What are your handles and also the website, you know, to remind people where they can get all the things. Sure, sure, sure. I'm still at at Arsha Jones, and that's at Arsha Jones on yes. all platforms. So that's uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. But I'll, like I said, okay. I'll post it. I'll look for nothing there. <laughs> um, and then the brand, of course, is Capital City. That's www.capitalcity.com and that's C A P I T A L city.com. All right, guys. And there you have it. I will talk to you next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you'll receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 